0: Welcome into another edition of the Gigam Twenty Four Seven Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Hattersley, joined by Carter carls and we have got a very special guest on the podcast this morning, afternoon. uh Josh Pate, host of Late Kick. Josh, thanks for for jumping on with us.
1: Yeah, it's good to be here, man. If I'm here, then that means it's really good news because that means we're <laughs> playing football this week,
0: man. I, I can tell you, there's a buzz around our board and a, and a buzz everywhere with game week. Uh, You know, I was joking with some friends this weekend. I was tuned in for Notre Dame, Navy for sure, just to see something on the TV, just to switch between games. And um, there was kind of that buzz. So exciting week. I know you're heading out to Florida, Utah, right?
1: Yeah. A rare Thursday game. I don't know that I've ever, you know, taken our, our official tour to a Thursday game, but home stadium instead of a neutral site game, unfamiliar place for us, out of conference for the SEC. So Should be a fun time out there. Don't know if Cam Rising is going to start for Utah, so a lot of things to keep an eye on.
0: And that was a heck of a game last year. That was one of the best games of week one. What do you think about the matchup there, and how big is that for Florida to kind of you know, start with that Utah matchup?
1: Well, it's huge for both teams with Florida. I mean, what's wild is their over-under win total is five and a half, and yet you tell people in Gainesville that, and they say, we don't care. There's a lot of pressure on Billy Napier. Like, we need eight wins this year, minimum. We need to see – Uh, market improvement, and then on the Utah side of things, if they had Southern Cal's schedule, they could probably afford for their quarterback to not be rushed back into things, but they don't. They've got Florida week one. They go to Baylor in week two. They got UCLA a couple of weeks after that, so they got a front-loaded schedule, and if they're not right at quarterback, I don't trust their backup situation at all. Uh, They could be out of the postseason picture by, what, October, I guess.
0: Boy, that would really be something they'd
2: Go ahead, Carter. Oh, I, I'm just saying, man. I, I'm getting so excited now that it's uh, Monday before. Uh, I mean, I know Week Zero was uh, was happening, but man, the real games are starting now. And uh, just talking Florida, Utah has got me excited. Uh, Andrew, I, I don't know. We we could probably start talking about yep. sex am and m um, And I yep. wanted to just hop in and ask Josh real quick about uh, just sort of this season, this off season for A and M. Um, you know, it's been really interesting to follow for us because we hear such a wide range of opinions for this team for Jimbo Fisher Bobby Petrino it's like there's this polarized like one side's like oh my gosh this is not gonna work Didn't look at what happened last season it's just a sign of things to come and then there's another side that's like oh last year was an anomaly everything's okay like this team is loaded with talent Bobby Petrino it has a great track record of, of being a great offensive mind. And, you know, this is a team that's going to really build towards something this year. And 24, I mean, you look at the schedule there already, and it's pretty favorable. So um, just wondering where you kind of land on that, the, the, that spectrum of just it's either really bad or, or things are okay and, and everything's going to be great.
1: Well, I'm kind of in the middle of – or not in the middle. I guess I kind of blend all those mentalities. I don't think last year was an anomaly. Uh, They were bad offensively, and they got a bad result. So that's not an anomaly to me. But then when you have a non-anomalous result, or as we would call it in normal terms, a problem, and you address the problem, and you had close games that went against you last year and you got a top five roster in college football which gets overlooked by the way I don't know why it would be the craziest thing in the world to say hey I think Texas a and could be pretty good this year emphasis on could because you still have to see it all pan out but you're right there's there's such an oil and water approach to preseason expectations and predictions and whatnot and look it'd be one thing if we were talking about TCU so TCU on the opposite end of things, they had the best of best cases pan out last year and they don't have an elite roster and they lost a bunch of elite pieces and they lost a very high level offensive coordinator. And so it would be one thing if I heard people saying, well, they're not going to be able to get back this year. OK, you've got reasons to think that. But man, a being what they were last year. And someone thinking they're going to bounce upwards, looking at all the evidence around them, I don't even think that's that radical. I think it's probably statistically more radical to say they're going to be as bad again as they were last year.
0: And just sticking with, um, with that Bobby Petrino question, right? If, if it works out with Bobby Petrino, what do you think that that
1: kind of looks like? More synergy, So when you watch them offensively, every first down doesn't look like you had to pull your wisdom teeth out to get it. Uh, There's a lot more rhythmic nature to the passing game. It's not Uh, herky-jerky. You don't watch them and say, man, if we could just get into the flow, if we could just find some rhythm. You don't have to search for that. And then all of a sudden, guys like Evan Stewart, just to pull a name that everyone nationally would recognize out of the bucket, guys like that are being featured. You're not seeing him yeah. catch the ball, go for 27 yards, and then disappear until the third quarter. He is a consistent part of the passing game. I'm not doing the whole comparison of players, but the way that the way that Bobby Petrino has featured his playmakers in the past, that's the way that an Evan Stewart should be featured. And then also, you're probably rotating a bunch of guys in. You're probably looking at the stat sheet at the end of a game and saying, wow, seven, eight, nine, ten guys caught passes today. Yeah. That's the way it should look. It should be a complementary style. It should be a style that doesn't look desperate. It doesn't look like they're searching for things or grasping for things. And, and that's not notice. I didn't even dive into any kind of intricacy. There's no kind of specific play calling terminology or phrasing. This is such basic stuff that Texas yeah. um, should honestly be able to take for granted every year, given the resources and given their talent pool.
0: Yeah, I, th- I feel like along those lines, Like they- it felt like the last couple of years, they've got to be perfect, right? They've got to be perfect against LSU and Alabama in order for things to go right. And you look at some of their offenses around, and they they haven't been perfect, and they've still been able to put up points and succeed. We lost Carter for a minute, but I believe we've got him back now. Um, the inter- The dreaded internet cut out on him for a moment there. Carter, we were just talking about the offense, and I know you've got some questions
2: about the defensive side of the ball too. Yeah, Josh, I, I'm wondering your thoughts on this because we spent so much of this offseason talking about Bob Petrino and Jimbo Fisher, this offense. This defense struggled last year. They couldn't defend the run, didn't generate much of a pass rush. And I mean, you, you see how much talent is on that side of the ball. Uh, you're wondering, DJ, DJ Durkin last year, I mean, it, it was a new scheme, it was a new coordinator. Um, I'm wondering, do you, th- you think that group is going to take a big jump this season? And, and also, just what are your kind of general thoughts on D.J. Durkin and if you think he's the, the right fit for this team?
1: Yeah, I do, I do think they're going to take a jump, actually. It's all complimentary. I, I probably use that word around Texas A&M football more than any other program because, if ironically, if Bobby Petrino and the offense do what they're supposed to, it heavily impacts their defense. And there was a mentality last year. You guys know. You watch every snap of every game. There was a mentality that was sort of, I guess I would call it Iowa-esque, in that defense <laughs> knew it had to win a game. And that's never a good place to be. And there's no excuse why Texas a and should be there. But, again, it would be one thing if this roster was void of defensive talent. But, I mean, like, you look across the front. It's like a who's who of national signing days of years past. And yeah. so – Look, there's, there's no way you sell me, I'm not saying you guys, but there's no way a doubter sells me on the concept that if this offense improves, that defense won't improve with it. If I shave one or two possessions per game off of them having to be on the field, I mean, I don't think people appreciate how much that adds up over the course of a year. And I don't, also don't think people appreciate from a mental standpoint how much it matters that you know you don't have to go out there and win games for your team. It can be complimentary. You can contribute to it.
0: No doubt. I mean, it, that, that defensive line talent is just ridiculous. I mean, we always joke. We lose. We forget it sometimes about Gabriel Brownlow Dendy since he didn't play last year. He sometimes gets kind of lost in the shuffle, and he's a five star and, and was one of the top defensive linemen. And his name sometimes gets dropped off because he missed last year. Uh, looking at the player angle, are there any players specifically that you're kind of looking forward to watching? Like this guy, man, he's, he's going to be fun to watch.
1: Um, I mean, would Walter Nolan count?
0: A little bit. Yeah, I think so. Because, I mean, he, he was kind of, you know, I, I think he, he kind of was was battling some consistency last year. I think he would count.
1: Yeah, so I would count him. Again, that's not a name that if you say it to an Aggie fan, they're going to say, who's he? But I think yeah. nationally – A lot of people would say, Walter Nolan, let me see. Um, They would snap their fingers. They would remember him from recruiting if they're a hardcore college football fan, but they would not have remembered him flashing consistently for them last year. And yet that's a guy who absolutely, he has all American potential about him. Putting that all together is a a much different uh, task. But I think that if things fall right this year, Walter Nolan probably is a name that scales his recognition and value as much as anyone on that team.
0: He's looked really good so far in, in the spring. When you saw him in the spring and saw him in the fall, he's looked he's looked really good so far. Carter.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Josh, uh I want to ask about Connor Wigman too. I I know we're uh re- recording this at uh what is it, nine fifteen on Monday. Maybe he'll have a uh, say, uh
0: I think he was just going to ask you your, your thoughts on Connor Wigman and just kind of what you're looking to see out of him if if indeed he is the guy for AM. and m
1: Yeah. Uh, look, let me ask you this. So is there really any question about this sort of in a and circles that so. he's going to be the guy?
0: I don't think so. I think, you know, it's been one of these battles and he's kind of, you know, he's he's kind of had to battle for this job and win it. And, and Max Johnson's certainly a guy that you I think you feel better about having in the quarterback room, given the experience he has in the SEC. But I think everybody's general assumption is that Connor Wigman is going to win this job.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be a, it would be a huge shock to me if anyone other than him yeah. was named starter. So um, I, I just, I say that because again, I zoom it out nationally. People keep asking me, Hey, are you going to yeah. talk about the A&M quarterback battle? And there's to me not. I been don't much think talk there about. really
0: is one. Yeah.
1: Right. The depth situation is something you can talk about because that's a really good place to be. So yeah. With Wigman, um, he is, to me, I put him in the same bucket as Cade Klubnick over at Clemson of guys who have all the potential in the world. They don't lack the tools. They don't lack the, the acumen to play the position. It just goes to show you how valuable it is in college football, especially to be put in the right position, put in the right situation. Uh, in college football, very rarely – do you have a talent that's good enough to overcome things outside of their control on the on the coaching and play calling side of things? So it, I know we keep going back to the same thing. We've gone three times back now to the offensive coordinator hire. Yep. That is the domino. It's one of the biggest dominoes in all of the sport this year, not just college station. Cause if that domino falls positive for AM, yeah. what are we talking about? We're talking about awards season possibly looking different we're talking about the west looking different maybe the sec championship picture maybe the college football playoff looking different all american teams look different everything looks different
0: you're kind of looking like that team that that played against lsu at the end of last year and that i think kind of that that consistent group over there carter we got you back and i know you the internet's kind of going in and out today so apologies on on that front um carter you're you, uh, I know you wanted to ask a little bit about the, the Bama A&M
2: matchup as well. Yeah, I think uh, Josh thinks Bama will have a better season than my Wi-Fi will have. Um, I, saw you pick, <laughs> uh, I saw you pick Bama to win the uh, national championship, and uh, I know they've been a, a topic – they're always a topic of conversation, but their, their quarterback battle and, and what's going on there. Curious kind of your thoughts. Uh, is, is it sort of a thing where it's like, it doesn't really matter who they have at quarterback. they they got so much talent everywhere else. I know the Tommy Reese hire was also another topic of conversation. And then also just A&M Texas – or sorry, A&M, A&M Bama, Texas Bama. What what you kind of were thinking about those two games?
1: Uh, Texas Bama I, I think the out-of-conference game of the year. Like I think yeah. that one's going to be more hyped even than FSU-LSU. Home environment has a lot to do with that over neutral site. Um, Am Bama, I am very much hoping that I'll get to attend. Uh, both teams have to take care of business before that, but that could end up being one of the conference games of the year. And you get look, if you look at Alabama this year, the a and game was was a very, very close last second loss for Am last year. the Texas game, same thing. Bama ends up winning that thing, last play of the game. Uh, the LSU and Tennessee games they'll get at home. Lost both of those on the last play of the game last year. So they had they had like half a dozen games, it feels like, come down to not only the last possession, but the last play. And the style of play I think they'll incorporate this year is going to lend them to being in more close games, I think. As much as I picked them to win the national championship, it's going to coincide with such a radically different offensive approach that I think that them pulling away from teams, the fireworks show offensively, that is not Alabama this year. What I do think they have uh, that may be their saving grace is I think they've got a potentially dominant offensive line. And I also think they've got a better secondary than they've had in several years. And so I think their personnel is still very, very elite. And I think if they can tailor themselves and that personnel to playing that style and committing to it instead of dabbling in it, they'll be good enough to beat anyone they play.
0: Do you think this is kind of going back to those those Bama teams, maybe five, you know six years ago or so, where they just grounded and pounded kind of everybody and and won games that way, or do you think they need to kind of air it out in order to have the success that they've they've had in the past?
1: You got to throw the ball. Uh, they they yeah. did even then. It's just yeah, it, it, the intermediate passing game didn't carve you up like it did when they had yeah. Sark as the offensive coordinator, for example, or like they did when they had a Tua or a Bryce or a Mac Jones. That's not going to be them this year. But if you have a guy like Jalen Milrow, who himself is a very legit runner, who can also throw the ball 60, 70 yards in the air, you have the play-action capability, you keep your RPO capability, you have got four legitimate tailbacks, probably seven or eight offensive linemen that you can roll out there and play SEC-caliber ball. And so you force people to respect that and plan for it. You maintain speed, if, if unproven, still speed on the perimeter to hit folks over the top. Uh, that would be more the style of play I think they'll incorporate this year. So, yeah, that's very much in line with maybe what you saw from them in that 2015 championship year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be really interesting because I, I have an Alabama friend and we were kind of talking and he, he even said, like, I have no idea what this team's going to look like. It's just kind of a different maybe style than they've had in the past. Got to ask you about A&M because uh, I think a lot of people kind of take the attitude that this team needs to be – 4 and 1 or 5 and 0 going into that Alabama game. Is that kind of where you see where they need to be or given the back half of the schedule going to Tennessee and having that Alabama game, do you think they need to be kind of 4 and 1, 5 and 0?
1: Yeah, and even with those two scenarios, think about this. So if they're 4 and 1, they're in sort of a reset mode like a wounded animal mode when Bama comes in there and they hope yeah. to use that as a springboard and if they beat Bama at home, they can beat anyone else on their schedule. If they're right. undefeated, then that game gets shaped sort of as the they haven't played anyone legitimate yet. This is their prove it moment. It's always overblown like that. It's always overhyped from a hyperbolic standpoint. Right. But um, either way, yeah, I think they need to be that. And then that game, one way or another, it needs to be a springboard. Like it needs to be something where you peak and you got to peak multiple times in a, in a schedule like this but they need to peak there and then they need to ride that. It needs to be a wave instead of a little spike. And then they come right back to earth.
0: Yeah. Carter, I know you're back joining us where we just talked a little bit about that Bamba Texas game. Um, I know you had, you had some more questions on the schedule.
2: Yeah. There's sort of like a two different thoughts with A&M this offseason among the fan base. It's kind of like either it's like, no, every year it's got to be championship or playoff robust kind of thing. When you have this roster, when you have these resources, n- nothing less than a – or anything less than a playoff would, would be a disappointment. Uh, but then you also kind of look at, hey, you're coming off a five-and-seven season. You're trying to build back to where you want to be. Is that kind of mentality appropriate for this year to have, To 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 think, you know, Hey, it's got to be at least 10 or 11 wins. Hey, it's got to at least be this. Or do you think that fans should have more of a, hey, if you have nine wins, if you're nine and four, and you have some close losses and you have a couple nice wins, you could build to a nice 24. I wonder how you kind of think about that.
1: I, I don't think that you are always what your record says you are in college athletics. That's the first thing I think. Yeah. And that is something that a lot of people disagree with me on uh, because it's a pro sports mentality. You are what your record says you are. Well in college you're not because I think the three of us and pretty much everyone watching or listening knows if I gave Texas A&M two lanes schedule, they'd be predicted to win 10 plus by odds makers and by everyone else. They're not predicted to do that right now with the same team. All that changed in that scenario is the schedule. So obviously there's another factor in play in college athletics disproportionate to the nfl and that's called strength of schedule so my my point anytime someone asks me how many wins does a team need i always ask them so i'll ask AM and m and and fans in general i'll say do you think AM ending up being a tw- top 12 team this year do you think that that would be good but i don't mean in the ap poll i mean if they play at a top 12 level this year would that be good most of them would say, yeah, that'd be good. That'd be a really big improvement. And then I would respond, you know, they could go eight and four and be the 12th best team in the country with this yep. schedule. Right. And everyone says, Oh, no, that's ridiculous. If you're the 12th best team in the country, you're, you're better than eight and four because they equate 12th best with the APs version of it. And you rarely see four lost teams at the number 12 spot, which I get, but I'm not talking about AP. I'm talking about a more power rating, a more true measurement of how good a team is. And I so I think your answer to the answer to your question is where they need to be is they need to be a certain caliber of performance. That's where they need to be. If that means 10 and two, if that means eight and four, if you look at them, uh, I got their schedule right here, actually. So so if they if, if let's say A&M were eight and were 8 and 4 this year and their losses were by three points to Bama by three points at Tennessee, by three points at LSU and they dropped uh, one of the games like Auburn or, or Ole Miss by three. Yeah. You could theoretically be the 12th or 13th best team in the country and do that. No one would look at you as the 12th or 13th best team in the country. And that's where the, you know, the dichotomy or divergence, I guess, between properly rating teams and ranking teams comes into play in this sport. And why I always think teams can end up over or underrated because there's not a proper understanding of sometimes how good teams are because everyone gets so married to the results. I know the results are what matter in the standings. Please don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is a could be a really good team this year and still drop some one possession games to other really good teams this year. It doesn't make them bad. And so if they win nine games, wonderful. If they win 10 games, that's really wonderful. But saying Ten and two, or eleven and one, or bust. Uh, to me, is a little bit short-sighted. No doubt,
0: I, I completely agree with you on everything on, on that front.
1: Uh,
2: am I in here? Okay, yep. I think I'm working now. Sorry, the whole Wi-Fi stuff. But uh, yeah, I wanted to ask a follow-up because uh, this is music to my ears because I'm I feel like I'm optimistic on A&M this season, but I'm also thinking eight and four maybe nine and three. And I feel like when I say that sometimes it's like, Oh my God, how like this, this, the world is ending. Uh, How could this not be a 10 win team? And uh, so where do you, like, if you're looking at the whole schedule, where do you see the wins? Where do you see the losses? Uh, I know you, you, you've done some predictions, but uh, now with it being, I guess, five days away, what, what's kind of your final prediction for this A&M team?
1: I think I put A&M at eight and four. And the way I like to do it is I like to put toughness ratings on every game. And so, you know, if I've got games rated nine or 10, I'll put those in one bucket, the sevens and eights, I put in another bucket, the six and below I'll put in the third bucket. And I like to simulate things a hundred times. And on average, if you've got four games in the seven and eight bucket, would you win two and a quarter on average? Would you win three and a quarter on average? Like where would you land? And so I don't do it the way a lot of people do. A lot of people look at a schedule and they go loss loss, win, loss, win. I don't think there's a lot of skill yeah. in that. There's barely any skill in doing that the week of the game, much less of two months ahead of time. So when I go eight and four for am, that's just the most likely result for me you know simulating things 100 times, which is boring I know but if you go on the high end, which is more what people want to talk about, uh, there's a 10 and two there's an 11 and one in there to me. I don't think yeah. anybody, is really going undefeated with this schedule, but you cannot ignore the talent level on this roster. So when you go the best case, that means you have injury luck, that means you have plus double digit turnover luck over the course of a season. That means the the Petrino hire worked out, and that means your players play to their capability. There's an eleven and one in there, and and all of those things are possible. There's a five and seven in there too if things go disastrous. So all of that's possible. I, I think eight and four is totally fair. I would be very happy with nine and three if I were an AM fan, especially if I didn't get blown out. If every one of the losses were competitive, I'd be very excited about that.
0: Yeah, I think you've got a building block if you go nine and three. And that's kind of where I've sat is nine and three. And then depending on, you know, if you get a bowl win and get to ten wins, that's a that's a really good season. Um, and something you can you can build off. We're gonna take a quick break and then and then look at some more. Big picture questions. If you listen to us on video, hang tight. We, we will not go in anywhere. If you listen to us on the podcast, we'll be right back. Welcome back into the Gigam 24-7 Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Hattersley, joined by Carter Carls and Josh Pate from Late Kick. We're talking the little Texas AM football, little college football with the C with game week here, week one approaching. Uh Josh, do you do you think this is a team that isn't right now as it sits is a national championship caliber program or can they get there by twenty twenty four twenty
1: twenty five? Yeah, they can get there. Yeah. It's it's always yeah. a national championship caliber program. Now you said the word program, which you, yeah. you got to really yell program and you got to let people know what you mean by that. Cause anytime yeah. that you say that they automatically just, they transition to, he must be talking about this year's team, which you're not. Yeah. And I wouldn't say they're a championship right. caliber team this year. If anyone says they're not a championship caliber program, all I ever ask is what do they lack? What, what yeah. thing or things that it takes to win a national title does Texas A&M lack? They don't like money. They don't lack resources. They don't like facilities. They don't like talent. They don't lack full fan base buy-in. In fact, they've got all of those things in droves. So the only thing that you could come back to, theoretically, if you don't think they have what it takes is coach. That's the only box that you could theoretically be questioning here. Yeah. And if you if you want to question that, that's okay. That's why this year is really important. And that's why I'm happy to be in the remains to be seen camp. But people who say they don't have it, I'm not sure what they're looking at. Yeah. Josh, from a facility
0: standpoint and from, from just an investment standpoint, you're right, what they've done with facilities and head coach, and they've pretty much had everything to to, to, to do what they need to do.
2: Yeah, uh, and Josh, I wanted to ask a, a, a kind of a, a future question, too, because I I keep looking at 24, and I, and I, I know fans hate when I say this because I just – No one ever ever likes to hear about next year, but you avoid Bama and Georgia next year. Your three biggest games are at home, Notre Dame, Texas, and LSU. This 2022 class will be juniors, their their third year on campus. A lot of your best players will be juniors and seniors. Um, What do you think A&M needs to show this year in terms of improvement for a 2024, you know, with the 12-team playoff to be special for A&M? What, what, is, what improvements, what, what kind of things would they need to do for 24 to be special?
1: Uh, I go back to the synergy word. If you see offensive synergy, mm-hmm. you know you're going to have that the next year. There's nothing that's going to disappear about that. I think a lot of guys that initially didn't pop the way you wanted them to from that 2022 class, if we have a critical mass of them sort of collectively start, of, start, start to come into their own this year – that that leads to sort of a crescendo of sorts next year. Like, and, and the other thing is, unless they shock everyone and go 11-1 and this year, you won't have to worry about complacency. In fact, you'll probably have an extremely hungry veteran, extremely talented bunch for next year. And I think it's totally fair to look at that because I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't think that way about this team. I'm, yeah, I'm thinking about 2023, but I'm almost thinking about it as a 24-month project. petrino gets hired i'm thinking about it as all right let's see what they can do this year so that we can get to 2024 and i know it's not fun to talk about that in august whatever Uh, that's the way i feel about it so i totally get that line of line of thought
0: sticking with 2024 obviously um, texas and oklahoma are coming into the sec what do you think that's going to do for how that's going to impact texas a&m from a recruiting standpoint from a brand standpoint obviously they've Hang their hat on being the only um, Texas team in the SEC. What do you think that move's going to kind of do for for Texas A&M and going forward?
1: I think a lot of it's overblown. I don't think A&M will suffer at all from it. I as as much as people talk about that stuff, I think Texas is already recruiting at an SEC level. I think Oklahoma is too. I don't think a thing changes about their approach and their philosophy in recruiting once they get to the SEC. Because if they believed that there was a certain caliber they needed to recruit at once they got here, they'd already be doing it. And they are. These are two really, really good recruiting programs. Portal, ditto. So, I mean, could they get over here and realize, wow, we're deficient in this position room? Sure. But everyone goes through that anyway. Alabama goes through that. Georgia goes through that. So it's just, I think it's something that fills pages in preview magazines. I don't think it's nearly as big a deal as people have made it out to be.
0: Yeah. I've, I've tried to tell people going out and obviously I cover recruiting. And so going out on the recruiting trail, I don't hear a lot of kids say, Oh, well, I don't pick Texas because you know, they're not in the SEC. You, you, you often hear them talk about development and winning and all those sorts of things. That's what ultimately they want. So, Carter, I know you got another one.
2: Yeah. I'll just ask uh, one more. Cause I know you got to go uh, Josh, but um you know, I, I don't know even how to ask this, but uh, there's kind of this narrative, I guess, uh, that, that Jimbo Fisher, like I think a lot of AM fans feel like because he's not maybe the cuddliest guy, the, the coziest guy <laughs> when it comes with the, the, the media and, and how he kind of presents himself, uh, th- that a lot of national folks are not big fans. And you, you see <laughs> like this, uh, the off season, you just see this, Jimbo, is he on the hot seat? And you you hear all these just crazy things sometimes where you you, kind of wonder, don't y'all remember he won a national championship? And don't y'all see how well he's recruiting? There's just sort of – there's this like, okay, I understand if you are critical of last season, but to go this far, I I just – I'm curious if you, as a national guy, you kind of see that amongst your peers of like, wow, you guys seem to be really harsh against this Jimbo guy or, or this a and program when they really have all the makings that you would want to have. It just hasn't quite happened yet.
1: Yeah. Um, yes, you're right. A lot of national folks do feel that way. I I laugh at it because I don't. And here's what's funny. So a couple of years ago on signing day, we had him on live, and that was when the whole sliced bread bro Bible thing started. <laughs> like, that's the day it started. And so – He started going back and forth with me on air and I'm having fun with it. And so I didn't think anything of it when we got done. So then later that day, he said it a few more places. And these people are like, oh, I'm all turned off by this. Oh, this what what kind of attitude does this guy have? And I'm I'm looking at it laughing again, having complete fun with it. Uh, Been around Jimbo several times. The vibe he gives off when the mic and the cameras are off are much different than the one he gives off when they're on air. And it's yeah. it's a really kind of it's the kind of person that if you don't get your feelings hurt, you vibe with very well. If you do get your feelings hurt easily, Jimbo Fisher's not your guy. He's not the guy for you. If you need a guy to constantly feed you stuff and constantly what we would call pump your tires and tell you how great you are, especially if you're a, a media person, he's not your guy. I don't need those things. So I love Jimbo Fisher. I got no problem with him. And he's also a guy who if you criticize him but you have logic behind it, he doesn't have a problem with it. He may hit you up, and he may tell you he disagrees with you, but but it's not going to – again, if you can handle yourself, it's not the kind of thing that should bother you. A lot of people can't handle themselves, and so they get bothered. Yeah. no, I I think
2: that's spot on. I totally agree because I think a lot of times – like the whole Petrino thing this offseason – I, I have this kind of yes, but approach where it's like, yeah, he should have handled it better, but is it really the end of the world? Like, we'll figure it out during the games. Like, we'll, we'll have to see. What, what he says in a press conference is not quite indicative of, of what will happen in the games. Is that kind of how you felt about the Petrino stuff where it's like you see these people just going nuts online about it, and it's like, guys, it, it's not that big of a deal. He, he has said that he's going to be calling the plays in countless interviews. Just because he didn't word it the the perfect way doesn't mean that, uh, you know, he's going to be this evil dictator that that ruins the program or anything like that.
1: If I watched two adults arguing in Russian, I would (laughs) never venture to diagnose what their issues are because I don't know Russian. However, I know more about Russian than a lot of people know about offense. And yet they're watching what's happening there and they're diagnosing it on message boards or on talk radio or Twitter. And I I think one of the best reality shows out there would be if we could take a random critic and just put them in a room one-on-one with the coach they're criticizing, no holds barred, we're donating $5 million to a charity of each of their choices if they'll just be authentic and real and go at it. And I would love to get someone who genuinely disagrees with the hire or think it doesn't work out to explain to Jimbo Fisher, here's why it won't work out. And for Jimbo to not pull punches and to shoot right back at that person. They'd be in a pretzel. In in seconds, they would be intellectually sort of in a pretzel. They don't even know where to start. And so my, my philosophy has been, even if it's not going to work out, I can't really explain fully why it's not going to work out. So I'm just going to sit back and watch. There's no harm in just letting things play out.
0: Everybody kind of needs to know the answers now though Josh they want to know right right here and now but no you're you're right It's the results on the field right if it, if they come out and they're scoring 30 plus points a game this hire is going to be revered and and Jimbo's probably going to get all the credit for for kind of going ahead and making that that hire is that kind of the way you see it? if this offense Jimbo's ultimately going to get the credit for kind of being able to step back and and let somebody else call the
1: plays sure he should get credit for it I mean, that's that's the way it works. Head coaches get credit all the time for delegating and yeah. for making decisions and putting people in the right place. And that's not that's not even misguided praise. That's their job. That's what they're yeah. paid to do. That's what the captain of a ship does.
0: No, no doubt. I, I completely agree with you. Well, Josh, thanks. Thanks so much for for jumping on with us and and doing this. I know you've, you've got a really busy schedule, so we, we really appreciate it. And uh, look forward to having you back on in the future.
1: I appreciate it, guys.
2: Thanks, Josh. Have a good time at Utah. Thanks, Josh.